Hello, my name is Jordan Tardo, and I'm the lead pastor at Experience Church. I'd like to take a moment and just say thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast today. I hope this message blesses you. I hope it encourages you. I hope it strengthens you for what God has called you to today. I just want to uh, take a second. I want to honor our pastor real quick. So if we could just put our hands together for him. He is taking a much needed break. Um, he, he does so much behind the scenes that most of us do not know about, and so I think this is a good opportunity for him to enjoy some 4th of July weekend. With that being said, we are in a series called The Beatitudes, but before we get started, I'm going to pray for us real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for today, God. Thank you for the opportunity to come in here on a Sunday and worship you, God. Thank you that we live in a country that, that is free, free for us to come in here and worship you, God. We ask that you just move throughout this room, God. We ask that it is your words, not mine, that end up being spoken up here, God. We thank you for all that you do in our lives and in the life of this church. And in Jesus Christ's name, we pray and everyone said, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and flip open to Matthew chapter 5. I'll get us caught up real quick. Jesus is just starting his earthly ministry. He calls his disciples and he says, follow me. And they follow him, and he begins to heal people. And, and he's about to embark on what scholars think is the best sermon uh, to ever be written. And it begins with the Beatitudes, and it picks up uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. I'm going to read it for us. It says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And that's where we're going to be camping out today. I would encourage you, if you haven't heard any of our messages up to this point, you can find them on Facebook or on our podcast as well. They're really good. Uh, but he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I love what Pastor Jordan and Kenny have been talking about with this word blessed. This is not a word blessed that gets thrown around in our society today. The, the word blessed that gets used most often nowadays is, you know, I am blessed because I've got a lot of money in my bank account. Right? I am blessed because I got that boo thing that I've been wanting for quite some time, and they text me, and I like them, and they like me back. Like, that's not the type of blessed that they're talking about. This is a type of blessed uh, that is not uh, predetermined or uh, predicated on our circumstances. This is a blessed that is rooted, cemented, and grounded in who Jesus is. And I'm reminded of a story in Acts 16 where Paul and Silas are in jail. They're coming off the heels of being beaten, being verbally harassed, abused, and they're in jail, shackled and chained, and they do the unimaginable. They worship Jesus, right? That's the type of blessed that we are talking about. And it says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, mercy is found not only in the life of Jesus, but most importantly, in the death of Jesus, that God withhold, withhold back his mercy or his wrath from us, and that he'd pour it out onto himself. I love what Ephesians uh, 2 says about this. It says, but because of his Great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. It says, who is rich in mercy. Our God is rich in mercy. 
You know, I want you to think back to a time where you've probably most tangibly experienced mercy. For me, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was in the eighth grade. I come from a a pretty sports-minded family, so that meant on the off chance that me and my siblings found ourselves at home. Uh, We didn't have practice. We didn't have a game, no extracurricular activities. Uh, Competition ensued, right? And and I was in eighth grade, and my brother was a senior in high school, and today's competition of choice was basketball. And if you have siblings, you know the sibling rivalry. Trash talking came early, and it came often, right? And I'm not going to lie to you. I was probably beating them by like 20 points in some basketball this day. And my brother's here. He'll probably tell the story a lot different. So, but he doesn't have the mic. I do. Um, but I, w- I was whooping up on him. But he, you know, as big brothers do, they had, he had a tendency of getting in my head. And so I remember being so angry at him uh, to the point where I'm going to go shoot a free throw in my brother's face at the basket. And I look at the ball and I look at my brother and I look at the ball and I just throw it as hard as I can and I hit him in the back of the head. Now in that moment, I had two options, right? A decision had to be made. I either stand there and I take what's coming next like a man or... I run. So you best believe I ran. And so I ran into the house. And before I could yell the three most important words to ever come out of my mouth up until that point, which were, Mama, help me. I remember being tackled onto the couch. And I remember wincing away, being pinned, just ready for whatever happened next. And a few moments go by, and nothing's happening. And I, and I open my eyes, and I can see my brother's fist right in front of my face. And I'm looking at this fist, this fist, and it's just standing there. It's just staying there. And I make my way to his face, and I can see his grimace, right? I can see anger, but I can also see restraint in his eyes. I remember the sweat coming down his face. See, that is mercy. In that moment, he did not give me what I deserved. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve. See, mercy and grace can oftentimes get confused, but they're two sides of the same coin. Mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, while grace is giving someone what they do not deserve. See, mercy is restraint. Grace is abundance. Mercy is Jesus' death on the cross where God chose to pour out his wrath on himself, withholding that wrath from us. And grace is what happens next. Grace is the abundance of life and relationship that we get with Jesus. Amen? And I can't help but think that we live in a society that seems pretty merciless. Like we live in a cancel culture society where you mess up once Uh, then we throw you to the curb. You mess up once, you are written off and disregarded and your opinion, your thoughts do not matter. We live in a society that we only give to get. We would only give mercy just so that we can receive it ourselves. We push others down just so we can stand a little taller, shine a little brighter, let our voices be heard just a little bit louder. And the thing about that is, is oftentimes the people who are the worst at showing mercy, the people who seem to be the most unforgiving are oftentimes sitting in chairs and sitting in seats that look a lot like ours. They come to a building on Sunday and they sit in a building that looks a lot like ours. They listen to a message and have great worship a lot like ours. It's the people that have experienced mercy the best who seemingly do not give it out. And to that, I would imagine that Jesus would not do it that way. 
That is not how Jesus operates. And I love what Hebrews 2, 17 through 18 says. It says, for this reason he, he meaning Jesus, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. See, the first thing I see in this text and we see from the life of Jesus is that mercy hurts. Right, mercy costs something. When we think about the mercy of Jesus, we could just stop there. But mercy meant Jesus suffering. Like Jesus had to suffer. God suffered, and for who? For us? Like obviously we are not deserving of that mercy, but that's the point. Mercy hurts. In obedience to the Father, the Son had to suffer. It's the most merciful act that we have ever known, but it also means one thing. It also means admitting that we are broken. It means admitting that we are not perfect to begin with. It means that we could do no such thing as to reach God. There was no amount of performance that we could do to get to God, but God came to us. And to that, Jesus just says, if, if you would humble yourself before me, I will lift you up. James 4.10. Another version says, if you would just get on your knees before God, because it is the only way that you will stand. Right? We have to humble ourselves before God. We have to know what mercy is. And mercy hurts. Right? Obedience hurt. Restraint hurts. Now, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I just started going to the gym for the first time in about five years. Talk about pain. Bro, I'm not joking. It's been bad. Like, I've been, I've been in some pain. I can't even walk up the steps of my apartment. I'm hurting, right? Like, this, this type of stuff is not cut out for me. But the gym has changed a lot. Like, I'll be working out with Pastor Jordan, and that guy's an animal, right? He works out, and I, I cannot keep up. But the whole idea of going to the gym is putting your body in uncomfortable situations. It's when you put your body in, in some sort of, uh, sort of pain. It's when you grow, right? I think the same can be said for us. I think the same can be said for our spiritual walk. And I don't know about you, but I'll be in the gym and I'll be in deep thought. Like I'll be somewhere completely different. You know what I mean? Just trying to catch my breath. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what is the difference between those who are consistent in the gym, the people that are there day after day, week after week, month after month, and then eventually year after year, the people that be carrying around protein powder with them the whole time, they meal prep the whole time. Like what separates them versus people like me who treat the gym like Thanksgiving? We hit it once, we hit it hard, we don't hit it till the next year. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like what separates those people? And I think the thing that, I, that I've come to, to realize is the thing that separates them is that they realize and they understand the before and their after. Like they understood where they were when they began with and they hold on to that as they have vision for where they are going. See, the same could be said for us in our spiritual walk, except the difference is Jesus. We hold on to Jesus before in the sense that Jesus died for us, and we hold on to that so tightly so we can begin to walk out what it means to be merciful to others because we've experienced mercy for ourselves. See, mercy hurts, but we won't be able to give it out if we haven't experienced it for ourselves. The difference is Jesus, because apart from him, we can do nothing. Because being merciful hurts. And let me just prove it to y'all. Some of you might be in here and you're like, no, I know what you were saying about those Christians earlier who sit in seats like us, auditorium like us, worship, praise like us. Like, 
that's not me. You know what I mean? Like, I am, I'm, I'm a pretty merciful person. Like, you know, I, I, I'm good with this. This is not to me. I'll see you next week. All right, let me just prove it to you real quick. Let somebody cut you off in traffic, right? Let, some, let you be in an argument with one of your spouses, or you're sitting there, and you're on the phone, and they hang up. Let's just see what happens there. Oh, this happened to my parents not too long ago. Be in that line at Disney for two and a half hours only to get at the front and then say, oh, we closed. Or... Let them gas prices go up one more dollar. And I can prove to y'all that we are not as merciful as we think we are. See, mercy is not easy to give. I love what my old seminary professor, Dr. Black, used to say. He said, discipleship is costly. Mercy is costly. But are you willing to pay it? And you're only willing to pay it as much as you put value into something as if you put value into what Jesus did and what he did for you. It means humbling yourselves and it means admitting that mercy hurts because we have to give up our pride, but it also hurts in giving to others because we have to restrain. Mercy hurts. See, the beatitude itself is out of order. It said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's almost like we can just give mercy and then we'll get it and we'll be fine. But it really is. No, once we understand that Jesus has been merciful to us, then we can shell out mercy because we are coming from a source because we cannot give what we do not have. And so we give mercy. And then ultimately on the day that judgment comes, he will show us mercy. See, mercy hurts. But the second thing that I see in this text is that mercy is not without purpose. Mercy is not without purpose. See, Jesus had to suffer, right? We can reread it. It said Jesus had to suffer in order that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, that he might make atonement for the sins of man, that he might help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to suffer. There was no amount of, uh, of goodwill, of striving that we could have done to get to Jesus. He had to do this. Like his mercy was not without purpose. See, mercy is meant for freedom. One of my favorite songs says, I am no longer a slave to sin, for I am a child of God. Mercy is meant for freedom. I would have loved to have sang that out, but y'all don't want to hear that right now. But mercy is meant for freedom. But oftentimes, the people that we are least merciful towards, the, the people that we have the hardest time forgiving, the people where we are the biggest critics to are ourselves. And see, and we cannot be merciful to others if we do not know what it means to have mercy ourselves because we cannot give what, again, we do not have. And see, there's two types of people. See, the first type says, no, you, you, you do not know what they did to me. You're telling me to give mercy, but you do not know what they've done to me. You do not know the mental abuse, the, the physical harassment, the psychological warfare that I've been through because if you knew, you would know that they did not deserve it. And since I can't give it to them, I know that Jesus can't give it to me. And to that I would say, I know, I do not know. But Jesus does. And to that I would imagine Jesus would say, I know what it's like to be betrayed by those who are closest to you. Like, I know what it's like to experience everything that you are experiencing and then some. I know what it's like to be alone, to be seemingly naked to the world. But yet you are not alone because I am with you. I know it, it hurts. Now, this mercy is not only for them, but this mercy is for you. Mercy will hurt, but it is worth it. It is for your freedom. He says, I am able if you are willing. See, that's the first type of person. And then there's the second. The second type of person says, Noah, you, you just don't know what I've done. 
Like you don't know in the, in the privacy of privates, you don't know in the secrecy of secrets what I have done. You don't even know what the things I've done to the people I've loved most. Because if you did, you would understand that I do not deserve mercy. And to that I would say, you're right, I do not know, but I would imagine Jesus would have a different response. He would say, no, I know. Because one day we're ultimately all going to face judgment, as Romans 2.16 says. He will drudge even our secret lives. The things that you think he does not know, no, he knows about. And he says, no, I know about those things, and I loved you enough that I died for those things. The very thing that you think disqualifies you from the mercy of God is the very thing that he is willing to use to get himself glory. He is able if you are willing. See, mercy is... It's for our freedom, but it's not just meant for our freedom. It's meant for other people's freedom as well. Why is it so easy to receive mercy, but not easy to give away? I love this story in Matthew chapter 18. Peter and Jesus are talking, and, and Peter uh, looks to Jesus. He says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Up to seven times? He thought he was saying something. Up to seven times? Like That's a lot. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but up to 77 times, meaning it's an innumerable amount. You keep on forgiving. Then Jesus goes into this parable. He says, there is a master and a servant. This servant owed this master a lot of money, like 10,000 bags of gold. That would be today's equivalent of about $4 billion. That's a lot of money. Am I right? Like if that's not a lot of money for you, I'd like to meet you after service, shake your hand, get to know you. We can go to the office. We can talk about all the things we want to do for this church. You know what I'm saying? But $4 billion is a lot of money. And then he says, I want you to pay off everything you have. I want you to sell all your possessions to give me my money to which the servant drops to his knees. And he says this. He says, be patient with me. I will pay back everything. He's begging him. And the master looks at him and he forgave him of all his debt. And then the servant left there and he sees someone else who owed him money. And he goes up to this person, he grabs him by the neck and he starts choking him. He says, where's my money that you owe me? Uh, it was about 100 gold shekels. This came out to like the, the equivalency of today, about $10,000, still a lot of money, right? And he said, where's my money? To which the servant drops to his knees and he says, please be patient with me. I will pay back everything. Except the servant who just received the mercy wasn't patient, so he threw the guy in jail until he could pay back everything. And when the master heard about this, when word spread through the grapevine, when the master heard about this, he called his servant back and he says this, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt you owed because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Then he threw him in jail, tortured him until he could pay back all the money that he owed. See, he couldn't ever pay back all the money that he owed because $4 billion is too much money. See, what Jesus is saying here is the same thing for us. One day, we are going to face judgment. One day, we are going to stand before Jesus, and that's just a reality. He has shown us so much mercy. He has given us so much mercy and to the point that where we could never pay it back, what are we going to do with it? Like, do we just take that money or that mercy and we hoard it to ourselves or do we give it to others? No, it's one we want to give it to others because I've experienced something that's so good I can't help but give it. Because our mercy is not without purpose. Because I found freedom, I want you to as well. And it's found in the power of his blood. I love that song that we sang earlier. Mercy is not without purpose. 
And the last thing I see in this text is that mercy is not momentary. Mercy is not momentary. Verse 18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, my mom's an English teacher. She'd be really proud of me right now because he himself suffered. It's past tense, right? Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Present tense, right? See, that's the lasting effect of Jesus, that the Son of God could die a death 2,000 years ago, and it still applies now. Like, he didn't just die a death for all the sins that happened up to that point. He didn't die a death all the way up to the point that we proclaim to be a child of God. No, he died for past sins, present sins, and for all sins. I love what Lamentations 3.23 says. It says it right here. He says, his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. 1 Peter 3.18 says it like this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That was once for all, not once for you, once for all. And we get to be a part of the lasting effect of what it is to, to be a follower of Jesus for others. Like we get to somehow be a part of the process of shaping others' eternity. Just think about if all those people that we were talking about earlier, if they really walked out, if they reflected what it meant to be a follower of Christ, if they only reflected half the mercy that Jesus had shown. Like think about where we would be if we truly understood that mercy isn't momentary, but there's an eternity on the line. Think about the generational impact. Think about the societal impact. Like think about the the revival that would have in this church. Think about the revival that it would have in this state. Think about the revival it would have in this country and in this world. If we would just be purposeful in our calling, if we would just imitate Christ, not all are going to believe. Not all bleed for Jesus, but I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, until I see a sign on their forehead that says, I will or will not believe, I will pursue. We get to be a part of that. But you might be sitting here and you're wondering, like, all right, made your point. How? Like, it's easy if I leave here right now to go be merciful. It's fresh in front of mind. But how do I do that week after week? month after month, year after year. And the practical application for a person who has just found Jesus or hasn't met Jesus yet or the person who's been walking with Jesus for 20 years is the same. It says remember. We have to remember daily who Jesus is because let's be honest, life happens, right? Work happens. The pressure of a job happens. Marriage happens. Relationships happen. The pressure to perform happens. And if we're not careful, we can go week after week, Sunday after Sunday, month after month, and we can miss the most important thing ever, and that is Jesus. That we can get to our Sundays and wonder where he was all throughout the week. We have to remember who Jesus is. But then I realized that there are some people here and they're still struggling to feel like Jesus would die for you. Like his suffering was for you because you're like, Noah, 
Now, I've been in this moment before. Before I've, I've prayed a prayer. I've raised my hand in church. I've, I've recommitted my life to Christ, but nothing ever seems to change. No, I've been here before. No, I've done too much. No, it's too late for me, but I would just encourage you, as far as your sin may extend, God's grace extends further. I love what happens in Luke 23. Jesus is on the cross. He's got a thief on either side of him, laying on the crosses as well. And, and up to this point, catch this, Jesus has been betrayed by those closest to him, arrested for a crime he did not commit, beaten. He was sentenced to death for a crime he did not commit. He was whipped, he was lashed, he was flogged. He carried a cross all the way up to the top of a hill to where he was nailed to that cross. And in his most physically weakened self, it's really where we find out what a true person is. And a thief looks to Jesus and he says, surely, if you're the son of God, and you, you'd get up and, and, you, and you would leave behind all this pain. Surely, if, that, if you're that guy. And the thief to the other side of Jesus looks at him and he says, do you not know who this is? Like, do you not know that this is the son of of God, we deserve to be here. We did the crime. Now we have to face what is right and just, but he does not deserve to be here. And he looks to Jesus and he says, Jesus, will you remember me in heaven? To which Jesus, hanging on a cross, beaten, broken, looks to the thief and he says, Truly, my son, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. See, there is no such thing as too late for Jesus. There is no such thing as too far gone for Jesus. If you are willing, he is able. That is our God. He will do some crazy work in your life if you would just let him. If you would just submit to him, if you would just humble yourselves before him, he is able if you are willing. Come on, church, would you pray with me?